We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless. Welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. Joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant, and a Fox soccer researcher, researcher, yeah, researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this uh, Friday, July 21st in the year 2023, at least where we are here in Sydney? I am doing well. You know, cleaned up Mossy lasts for about the first two pods <laughs> during these World Cups, and then you start to see the unshaven look, and the fatigue starts to set in. I mean, listen, uh, we just got, uh, uh, we just took the studio over from uh, Jimmy and company, Jimmy Conrad and company, and, um, you know, they're all dressed up, and they're looking good, and, you know, we come on, and I, I did one game today, and then I went home, and I tried so hard to stay up, but there was a point where I did not out, so I'm still getting over, uh, over the jet lag here. Listen, um, what we'd like to do with these uh, daily shows after the, after the games is give you just a very brief, we're not going to go crazy into the weeds type of synopsis of what happened on and off the field, some of the stories that are going on, and of course, a peek into this world that is broadcasting a World Cup from a Fox perspective, whether it's in front of the camera uh, or behind the camera and in front of the camera, I guess it would be when it comes, uh, when it comes to David Mossy. Are you sleeping? Still not sleeping that great. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's 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 a it's a bitch, man. <laughs> it is difficult. It is very very difficult. Um, listen, we want to thank uh, State Farm for uh, all of their uh, promotion and all of their help uh, as they put on these shows. And like I said, we will be do, doing this every single day uh, after the uh, the day's events. And in particular, I will remind you that tomorrow, because for us it's tomorrow, the United States uh, opens up their play here at the World Cup. And immediately after that U.S. game against Vietnam, we will have a live State of the Union. So definitely tune in uh, tune into that. All right, should we go back? Because we didn't get to talk about the, uh, the opening day. Only two games, obviously, both of the host co- uh, countries hosting uh, and playing their games. From a host perspective, I guess it couldn't have gone better in terms of the results. From an actual entertainment perspective, it has to be said, and we call it like it is here on the State of the Union, not the most riveting type of soccer, nothing that you would put in a time capsule in terms of both the uh, New Zealand game uh, and the Australia game. Yeah, any World Cup we cover, we always root for the host nations to do well, to galvanize the country, because that can really lift the whole tournament. Uh, And so we'll see if we get that here. 
Uh, for New Zealand, it was pretty historic, a 1-0 win over Norway. Hannah Wilkinson with the only goal. She is a former Tennessee volunteer, so producer Sean was very excited about that. It is New Zealand's first ever Women's World Cup win. This is their sixth appearance. It was their 16th match at this stage, and they finally get a W, so it's a great start for them. Great start for them. Uh, as you mentioned, a historic type of start given their futility in winning at uh, World Cups. And you saw on the faces of the players after the game how important it was uh, to them. I will say, you know, because you mentioned uh, Wilkinson and this association with the U.S. And it, another peek behind the curtain. Obviously, we are broadcasting to the United States, and we are the broadcasters of a World Cup that the United States is defending. And so, yes, things are going to be U.S. Centric. Are we going to give plenty of love and time to all the other teams and all the other stories that are there? Absolutely. But guess what? If you are watching our broadcast when it comes to Fox in the United States, it is going to be U.S.-centric. And we are going to make associations where they are with U.S. Uh, uh, players that have played in the U.S., players that have connections to the U.S. And we would not be doing our job because it is a connection. It is something to entice. It is something to interest people out there. It is TV 101. And I'm not saying people are complaining because I think everybody understands that, but you know, leaning into a background playing for the Tennessee, University of Tennessee or something like that, that is a no-brainer. And the fact that she paid it off, by the way, after uh, Carly Lloyd had her as her player, uh, player to watch, not necessarily going out on a limb, was very, very nice. And by the way, New Zealand might not have great World Cup pedigree, but Hannah Wilkinson has scored in three different World Cups now, so... She Never does. been done men's or women's from a New Zealand Correct. perspective. The flip side of that result was Norway, which used to be one of the great powers in the women's game. They won the World Cup in 1995. They've struggled lately. In the last Euros, they lost a game 8-0 to England. I thought this tournament might be a chance for them to reestablish themselves, but terrible start for Ada Hegerberg and company. They looked rudderless. And should we be surprised, Mossy, because, you know, they're coming off of a not good period and a period where everyone said, oh, this is this is this is bad in terms of the Euros. This is bad in terms of where they are going. And I think everybody thought that they'll get it together for the World Cup. Now, it's still early days, just one game. But this team did not look like they had any understanding of how they wanted to play. There was no ruthlessness when it came collectively or to the individual players. Ada Hegerberg, who obviously is a very, very big story, finally back at the World Cup after skipping the last World Cup in protest, she was non-existent. Not necessarily her fault, but keep in mind that she was at the height of her powers when she was last seen at the World Cup. And now we look at her and, well, not at the head of powers, but she was, she was still young. But we, we, we missed that World Cup, and we thought, all right, finally returning. So they're going to have to get their you-know-what together uh, going forward because this throws this whole group, for those that predicted different things, into, uh, into disarray. All right, let's uh, switch it to Australia, uh, the, uh, the other hosts of this World Cup. They, they find a way to get the win in front of a, a crowd 80,000 people, uh, which was wonderful to see in terms of the support and the environment that was created playing against Ireland, although I will say there were a lot of Irish fans and they were loud. Absolutely. The Irish brought it right next to my hotel. There's an Irish pub and it's been packed, so they're excited for this tournament, which is great to see. It's Republic of Ireland's first appearance. They're one of the eight debutantes. Um, and yeah, this match was played at the Stadium of Australia here in Sydney, which is the site of the final, so it's where all 32 teams want to end up on August 20th. Uh, what'd you think of Australia, ultimately? I mean, because this was a team that a lot of people said going into this tournament not just for hosting it, but they, they are a quality team. There is nothing that I saw 
that says that they have any chance of winning this, uh, this World Cup. I agree, not overly impressive. They did manage to do something that other teams have struggled with at this tournament, which is to convert a penalty. Uh, <laughs> Steph Catley putting it away. Uh, she wore the captain's armband because Sam Kerr was missing. Unfortunately, injuries have become such a big part of this tournament in the lead-up to it, and now early on with Sam Kerr picking up an injury that's going to knock her out, it sounds like, for the first two games. The, you know, the Sam Kerr news was kind of dramatic in the way that it dropped. Nobody knew that she was not going to play, let alone that evidently we find out now that she's going to miss the first two games of the World Cup at, at the minimum. And this was held back by the Australian uh, team. And Tony Gustafson, after the game, admitted that they knew that she was not going to play. And, you know, he hemmed and hawed here and there, but ultimately came out and said it was strategic in not giving away that information. And I understand it from a competitive standpoint. I understand holding that back because you don't want Ireland to be able to game plan uh, for a Australia that doesn't have Sam Kerr because everything does flow through Sam Kerr. But it also means that next time Coach Tony says something, you're going to go, well, why should I believe you? And that's, uh, you know, that's, it was an interesting decision to do it in the moment and for Sam Kerr to be out there in front of the press and talking about playing, even though they knew that this was not going to uh, happen ultimately on the field because of the calf injury that he has, he has suffered. We were talking earlier today on the set about you know, injuries and calf injuries. And there's only so much that you can do. If it's, and, and knock on wood that, it, that it's nothing worse, but if it's a muscle injury, you know, there, it just takes time. And there's, you can do all of the stim, you can do all of the icing, you can do all of the stretching that you want, but it's going to take, uh, take some time. I think there will come a point in this tournament where Sam Kerr just, is, just wants to get on the field. And you could see that she was destroyed by the fact that she wasn't able to participate in this moment. But the interesting thing is, that in previous World Cups and the last World Cups, one of the knocks on Sam Kerr was that she didn't let the game come to her. And she was so jacked up about being in a World Cup that she almost was forcing every, uh, everything. And you can see she's an intense player and she plays with passion. And that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. But in this moment, she's going to have to rely on the rest of her teammates to get her to a point to be able to play. And I know it's, it must be incredibly frustrating for her not to be on the field. But they got it done in the first game. They got the three points. It doesn't matter how beautiful or ugly it ultimately was. All that matters is ultimately the, uh, the result. So we move on to the uh, day two. Let's do it. All right, we are sitting in day two. Three games in, de in day two. We started it off on Big Fox with uh, Norway and uh, – uh, I'm sorry, not Norway. Nigeria and, uh, and Canada. We're kind of like Bob and Doug McKenzie, by the way. You know, know who they are? You know, yeah, yeah, geez, my goodness. All right, well, you can look it up on, uh, online after it in terms of the way that we look here. Uh, and, uh, you know, up there in the Great White North, it's a classic comedy bit from, uh, from many, many years ago. All right, so Canada, defending, uh, not defending, well, yeah, defending gold medal winners from the Olympics. Always Rans, you know, Ina always there, never really able to get over the hump, boasting incredible talent, including arguably, and this is a, a debate that we got into on set, uh, one, not arguably a great, but is she the GOAT when it, comes, uh, uh, when it comes to Christine Sinclair? And this is their first time, the first time that we are seeing them in the tournament. What did you make of Canada? Ultimately ended 0-0. Sinclair took a penalty, missed a penalty, and in doing so, obviously, had the chance to put her team up. I thought that Canada on the day was better. I thought that this was a chippy affair, as they say. I thought that there was a point where Quinn 
could have gotten thrown out of the game. Uh, you know, at a point she came in uh, with uh, uh, cleats, up, cleats up, and then uh, Alozi, even right after it, I think also escaped. And I think this referee kind of let everybody play. And that's at times a good thing, but I think at times it got a little bit, uh, a little bit out of hand. But it's the first game, and you don't want to do anything. You don't want to kick anybody out. Although, ultimately, when the game ended, there was still an, ej uh, an ejection. Thoughts on the game? I mentioned the penalty kick woes at this World Cup. Even the all-time leading scorer in international history wasn't immune to it, Christine Sinclair. And, you know, we had a shot at history because had she converted, she would have been the first player to score in six different World Cups, man or woman. Uh, but alas, she she's was denied. She's, I think she's going to get a goal at some point. Although she is playing a different role now, more withdrawn on this Canadian team. So all the service isn't really funneled towards her. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you. Not overly impressive from Canada, but not that concerning either because Nigeria is a difficult team to play against. So I think Canada will be fine. I still see them advancing from this group. If Christine Sinclair were to lead this Canadian team to a World Cup, where would she fall in the conversation for GOAT? I mean, we talked at the, uh, at, at, um, on our uh, studio show about that. And, you know, the, the parallels to a Messi finally getting that moment and leading his Argentina team to a World Cup are certainly there. And Christine Sinclair, her first, uh, her first appearance was in 2000 for Canada. That's how long she has been around. And she's continued to score goals, and she'll be the first to admit that the one thing missing from her resume, and I guess from her legacy, is that World Cup. Although she is perceived to be a bit of a compiler, a bit of a Hank Aaron. I don't think people view her as... A what? What does that mean? What is, what, a somebody that's just consistent and racks up some impressive overall totals, but at no point in her career was she viewed as this incredible transcendent talent on the levels of a Marta, Mia Hamm, players like that. Would you agree? Well, we were on, uh, we, I was talking to Carly Lloyd earlier, and you know, I made the point that it's, if, you're play, if you're a Mia Hamm, or a Carly Lloyd for that matter, playing for the U.S. is a different type of proposition than playing for Canada. And I'm not saying that Canada isn't, isn't a good team, and at times Canada hasn't beaten the U.S., but I guess the question then would be, if Sinclair had actually played for the U.S., she would have been, you know, Abby, Abby Wambach type I, of Well, I was going to say, in terms of just as a pure goal scorer, would you put her above Abby because playing for Canada, you don't get as great a service as you do playing for I do give greater credit to somebody that was able to do it with a much lesser uh, of a supporting cast uh, than she did. I, I think if she were to lead this team, and she would have to, on her shoulders to a World Cup, you could absolutely make the argument that she is the greatest of all time for what she has done over the span of the last 25 years, but most importantly, taking a team in a World Cup a la Maradona in 1986, putting it on, on the back and, and bringing it, or, or I guess for Messi, you know, six months ago. Yeah, absolutely. But ultimately, they don't get the job done. And uh, from a Nigeria perspective, this is a, this is a good result. Uh, I thought that at times Nigeria was, was interesting. At times it was sloppy. I think that they absolutely could have let up goals. Um, but this is a... I guess a, this is a wonderful result for Nigeria coming out of the uh, shoot here. You good with that? I buy it. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Switzerland and the Philippines. First time we've seen the Philippines here at the, uh, the World Cup. You've talked about the American connections, the Philippines. 18 members of their squad were born in the United States, including eight starters. So they've really leaned into that. We made a big point of it tonight. Uh, but they go down 2-0 to Switzerland. And that, you know, that is a huge story. I mean, the, the Filipina-Americans unite type of situation that is this team. 
and it's by design and it's out of necessity in order to be able to compete. And proof is in the pudding. They have qualified for a World Cup. But you know, we, we, you know, we always have this talk about you know, what a national team player is and how do you define a national team player and dual nationals and all this kind of stuff and the representation in your history and all that kind of stuff. Ultimately, it comes down to whether you have a passport or not. But there is a sentiment, and, I, and I, it'd be interesting to see what, what, the, what, what the Philippine nation, when they are looking at this team, how they, how they are able to relate to these, uh, to these young women um, who are many of them, and almost all of them, coming from a, a very different place and not actually coming from the Philippines. I think that there's a pride no matter what, and you know, the, the culture that exists in the United States has been, there for, has been there forever. And in this situation, you get the best possible soccer players that have a Filipino uh, passport, and, uh, and you put them out there. You mentioned that you had a big debate with Carly Lloyd mm -hmm. on set. There was also a big debate over the uh, Swiss penalty, uh, which led to their first goal run, Mona Bachman. Uh, I thought it was a stone-cold penalty. Heather O'Reilly thought it was a stone-cold penalty. Stu Holden was not having it. He thought it was a terrible call. Your, the placement of your foot matters. Okay, So if I, you know, if I am able to get in front of you and you you swipe at me with your foot, you kick at me with your foot, thinking that I am kicking the ball. And in the, in the intervening millisecond, I put my body and or my foot in front of it. Then in that moment, you are actually not kicking the ball. Your intent to kick the ball really becomes irrelevant if you're going through somebody's body. And so I, I understand, I actually understand what both of these, uh, with whether it's Stu um, or Heo are saying when they, uh, when they look at it. I watched it again and again and again, and I don't think anybody would have cared if they hadn't called that. But, especially in this day of, of VAR, you look back and it looks like the defender is, and the defender doesn't see the player coming, is just swinging through. And it's not looks like, it actually does. Swings through and actually hits the, uh, uh, the back of the player who had gotten pole position, if you will. And for what it's worth, Sean Sullivan referred to it as a soft penalty in the rundown, so he seems to be in the Stu Holden camp. Yeah, so, uh, so what's your definition of a soft penalty? It just means that there is debate about it? Yeah, light contact, could have gone either way. Yeah, I don't know. I did like, you know, we saw a bunch of penalties today, and therefore, and we saw a bunch of VAR today, and it's, I can't believe it's taken us this long to actually have the referees announce what is going on. I think it's... I think it adds an element, obviously, of information that is missing. I also think it adds an element of theater. And now you're seeing some of these referees r recognize that they are kind of on stage and they are, you know, uh, they are talking to the world. And there's a theatrical part of it that I think is going to be interesting as it develops and goes on. And you know, the, the pauses and how the jargon that you use, the pauses, and like I said, the theatrical way in which you ultimately announce that decision. So I thought that was cool. Uh, now, can we get to the team I most want to talk about that was involved in the final match today? I suppose so. All right, so uh, Spain. We finally see the Spaniards uh, coming up against Costa Rica. I was absolutely mesmerized by their passing. You could ask people in the control room. I was having an orgasm in there. I thought I was watching Manchester City. Oh, God, that's a really tight space over there in our control room. And... 
when you take a step back and you think about the fact that 15 players mutinied, three came back, of the 12 that didn't, included in that is Sariegi, who was their leading scorer in qualifying, Patricia Guijara, who just scored two goals for Barcelona in the Champions League final, Mapi Leon, arguably their best defender, Sandra Pan is their starting goalkeeper. So the caliber of players they're without, and then Alexia Puteas, the best player in the world, is injured to the point where she wasn't able to start. And yet they still have enough talent to be one of the three or four best teams in this tournament. It is astonishing how much talent they've amassed in a short period of time here. It makes me think that had there not been any injuries and had there not been a mutiny, they would have clearly arrived at this tournament as co-favorites alongside the United States. So do you think that they've gotten over the hump? Because last time we saw Spain, there was this, I think, collective, and I think you would share this view, that they were not quite ready for prime time. The, the possession or the intent to have that possession was there. And now you're telling me that you're seeing a, 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 a possession with purpose. No, there were some worrying signs in that regard tonight. They okay. had over 40 shots. This should have been a U.S.-Thailand scenario. There should have been like 13-0. It was only 3-0. And so it goes to show you there's still an issue there. You go back to the Euros against England. They played against a healthy England team in England and played them off the park for 80 minutes. That game shouldn't have even been close, but they let England hang around. England... Nick, the equalizer late, ended up advancing. And so that is a potential problem for Spain down the road. Yeah, I think Danielle Slayton, uh, I was watching the game and she was doing it. I think at one point she said, you know, if there is a critique and a criticism, it's, the st it's that there is still a lack of ruthlessness, either individual up top or collectively in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. And it's interesting that you used or orgasm because th there are those that would say that it's, you know, just kind of a sitting around pleasuring yourself type of scenario when you are watching these teams that just put passes and passes and passes. And not for nothing, but this is nothing new when it comes to Spain. So they are, in essence, kind of living the history and the culture and the style and the ideal of Spain. But you were, I guess, were you just amazed at their ability to do it? Or are you just mesmerized when people are able to keep the ball? It's just so silky smooth, some of the passing movements, the combinations. I've never seen that before in the women's game. I think they're really, this is like women's soccer 2.0. They're elevating it to a different place. All right. You're not having this. You yeah, Masi loves Spain, whatever, you know. I mean, <laughs> it's a masturbatory thing. Is that what's happening here? All right, whatever. Um, Okay, uh, let's finish it off here with uh, preview. And look, we're going to have all sorts of stuff tomorrow. It is a big day tomorrow. Obviously, the first game uh, with the United States playing against uh, Vietnam on the eve of the first game, Mossy. How are you feeling having seen not everybody play, but seen some teams play and, you know, gotten a feel for what this World Cup is? Well... On the podcast we did with Heather O'Reilly, I highlighted the fact that Vietnam had a close loss against Germany, and maybe that meant they weren't going to be as easy an opponent for the U.S., uh, but I neglected to realize that they lost 9-0 to Spain. Uh, the more I've dug into it, I'm kind of back to thinking that this is going to be a Thailand scenario. I think the U.S. is going to lay the lumber down and really make a statement, lay down a marker for the rest of the field. Uh, Vlad Kondonovsky was actually asked in the press conference today if there was going to be another type of Thailand situation, and Vlaka's never going to say anything you know, particularly uh, newsworthy, newsworthy, but um, okay, I mean, look, if it's, if it's another Thailand thing, then, then do it and score the goals. And a reminder, I don't know how many remember from the last World Cup, but there was, you know, there was a lot of debate and disagreement and discussion as to was this, was this the proper thing to do? Were they being good sports? Was it in the spirit of the game? 
This is a World Cup. And while there are plenty of stories out there that are going to be about you know, the, the pathways and the impact that these players and these teams can have, this is about competition. This is about sports competition. And you can certainly have empathy for an opponent, but ultimately this is about winning. And when it comes to the U.S., this is about doing something historic, which is winning three games in a row. So if it turns out that this is a blowout tomorrow against, uh, against Vietnam, then so be it. And you score and you keep scoring. Because if you don't do that, one, from a practical perspective, you could end up not winning the group. And that would be problematic. Two, from an actual sports perspective, I believe that the most disrespectful thing that you can do is take your foot off the gas. And I, if, if you're going to kick my ass, then kick my ass and don't stop until the final whistle. I believe that the U.S. team has that type of mentality, and that is the right mentality to have going into this, uh, this game. I don't know if it's going to be a, uh, another Thailand, but Vietnam certainly has their... Uh, <laughs> Their work cut out for them. Uh, we will be bringing you all the action. Like I said, it's going to be a fun day tomorrow. Are you all set for tomorrow, Masi? Are you, uh, are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you ahead of the game when it comes to all of your work and all am, of your different things you have to do? I am ready. We have a two-hour pregame. Yes, it is we written, do. and all the graphics are good to go, so I'm looking forward to it. We will, be, we will be getting you set, not just for the actual game, but for uh, what, what is to come throughout this tournament. And, and obviously the first time that we are seeing this team as they go, like I said, for a historic three World Cups in a row. Never been done men's or women's. We will be with you every single day after uh, all the games. Although tomorrow after the U.S. game, it will, we will ha uh, have our uh, State Farm uh, podcast immediately after the U.S. game. So so definitely, uh, definitely do that. Obviously, after the post game uh, that we will have with the uh, with the game, and then I'll run over here to the set, and we will uh, give you the uh, State of the Union that you uh, that you want and that you deserve. Anything to to the folks before we go, Mossy? That's it. All right, listen. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Big day tomorrow. Think good things for the United States on and off the field. We will see you then. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.